0: All right, well, so I'll say good morning. Let's uh, let's begin. So today's daf is Mem. We're gonna pick up actually on Lametes Amud Beis Man tana. So remember again, we left off It's two, four, six, eight lines up from the bottom on Lametes Amud Beis. So just to reorient ourselves a little bit. We saw an interesting machlokas between Abba and the Rabbanon. So Abishol was of the opinion that Lamaisa again. A man who does yibum must do it purely for the mitzvah. And if he does it for any other ulterior motive, whether it's because, again, he thinks the woman is beautiful, she has a lot of money, or whatever else, the mice, again, remember, Abushal said a very dramatic statement, that Karavani, I think it's possible that the children would actually be mamzerim for such a union. The Rabbanon, on the other hand, said, no, the truth is the Iker mitzvah is the action of Yibum, is marrying the deceased brother's wife. And the truth is, to a certain degree, your kavanas or your intentions, or your motivations, are immaterial in why you're doing it. The important thing is that you do the mitzvah. Now, the Gemara says, man so who is the opinion who quoted the following idea? Aleha, mitzvah. That when the Pasik says the Yavama, this is just quoting the Pasik, the Yavama Yavala, the Yavama should, should go ahead and literally marry her should come upon her, should ultimately, again, consummate the relationship. Mitzvah, so again, the, the, the braisa adds in the phrase, this is a mitzvah. ha'isa alav heter, because in the beginning, remember, this woman was mutter to this man. Now, what does it mean, this woman was mutter to this man? We'll say before, let's call them Ruven and Shimon. So before Ruven married Rachel, so Rachel was just a regular girl, Shimon could have married her as well. Ne'esra. Then what happens? Then Rachel marries Ruven. At that point, again, she's ushered to Shimon because she is Shimon's brother's wife. V'chaz Ravahutra. And now, once again, she becomes permitted. Now how does she become permitted? Because now Reuven dies, and now again Shimon is permitted to marry her through the vehicle of Yibum. So you might have thought that she goes ahead and she returns to original permitted state. Now we'll discuss what this means in just a little bit. Therefore, the Pasik says, "Yevama yavo aleha mitzvah." ultimately, again, to teach us that it is a mitzvah. So we're, also, we're going to define all of this in just a moment. So, Mantano, who exactly is the author of this particular statement? Amra Yitzchak baravdini, The author of this statement is Abishol. Vachikamran, this is what Abishol means to say. Yevama Yavo aleha, mitzvah. That these, the concept of Yibum has to only be done in the framework of a mitzvah. Because in the beginning, meaning in the beginning means before Rachel married Ruvain, she was absolutely permitted to Shimon. What does that mean? Meaning what? That Shimon can marry Rachel for whatever reason he wants, because she's beautiful, because she has money, whatever reason he wants to marry her. Meaning also, when you marry someone, you, you, you have the right to marry that person for whatever the reason you want to marry them. Ne'esra. However, again, then Rachel marries Ruvain, At which point in time she becomes Asr to Shimon because now she is Ru- she is Shimon's brother's wife. And then Chazra vaHutra. But then Ruvain dies, and once again she becomes quote unquote permitted. So I might have thought that she, beco- she goes back to her original permitted state. What does it mean original permitted state? That you could do yibum for whatever reason you want, because she's beautiful, because she has money, because you're lonely, whatever the reason is. Tamod Lomar, Yivama Yavo Aleha Lemitzvah. Therefore the b'risa says, no, yibum could only be performed, performed how? If one has kavana for the mitzvah. If one is doing this for mitzvah purposes, then you could do yibum, but for any other ulterior motive, you are not permitted to do so. Rava, so, Rava Rav says, no, afilu timur supposed So says, remember again, this is Rav Baravdimi, was the one who just interpreted the b'risa as, as, as referring to Abishol. He says it's Abishol. Now Rava comes along. And Ravah says a little bit differently. Ravah The Bresa that we just read can even reflect the view of the Rabbanon. How so? So this is what it means to say, Yevamo Aleha Mitzvah. When the Pasuk says, remember, the Pasuk itself is only Yivama yavo Aleha. Mitzvah is the Bresa's commentary. So the Pasuk says, the Yivama. the Yivama shall consummate the Yivam relationship with her. The Bryce says, it's got to be a Mitzvah. What does that mean? hater. So in the beginning, remember, same thing. Before Rachel married Ruvain, she was permitted to Shimon, Ratzakonsa, Konsa, Ratzah what does it mean, Ratzah, she's permitted, that Shimon would have the right to marry her, or not to marry her, Ne'esra, then Rachel marries Reuven, at which point in time she becomes Asra to Shimon, because she is Shimon's brother's wife, Chazra V'hotra, and then what happens, Reuven dies, and she once again, quote-unquote, becomes permitted to Shimon through Yibum. You might have thought that she goes back to her original permitted state, meaning what? Ratsa Konsa that if you want to marry her, you can. If you don't want to marry her, you don't have to. So, says, Gilmar says, pauses here. What are you talking about? That he has the right not to marry her? They're connected. what are you talking about? That when Ruvain dies, Shimon has the right to marry her, not to marry her. No, no, no. Shimon has, Shimon has an obligation to do something with her. It's just that he happens to have an out called Chalitza. But Lamais, again, there is a clear obligation for him to to try to marry her should we just go ahead and remove her from this marriage with nothing so you might have thought that again on both sides that when Ruven dies so Rachel goes back to her original state as before she married Ruven, which means that Shimon could do Yipum Shimon could do Khalid it's totally up to him Talmud Lomar Yavama Yavo Aleha therefore the Pasuk says Yavama Yavo Aleha to teach us mitzvah. So I will say, in this context what it means is, Rav is teaching us that what the B'reis is really highlighting is that there is a mitzvah, a greater mitzvah to go ahead and do yibum than there is to do chalitza. A maresha, but one second, let's go back to the beginning of that B'reisa. Huh? Matzos Matzos tocha. So the pasuk says, me, "This is vanozeresim kadosh to we'll mincha. So, the like what the karb mincha is: a person brings a flower offering, a meal offering—they call it. You take a kometz, right? Three fingers worth. The coin takes three fingers worth. Right, shaves off. We saw this in our Yuma days. Shaves off the side with his fingers. Offers it up on the mizbeach, and the rest of the flower is baked off into matzos, that are consumed by the kohanim, with one simple caveat, that the kohanim have to eat it within the confines of, I mean, the Soviets talking about the mishkan, but they have to eat it within the confines of the Beis HaMikdash. So the Gemara says, matzos achab makam kodesh, mitzvah, so they have to eat the matzos in a makam kodesh, this is the mitzvah, top of mem, shebetchila haisalav v'chlal heter, because in the beginning, these matzos were totally permitted. And Abbas, what does it mean were totally permitted? That in the beginning, in the beginning, the kohen would have the right to go ahead and eat the matzos wherever he wanted. Right? Now, what does it mean in the beginning? Before this flower was consecrated, he would have the ability to eat the matzos made from the flower wherever he wanted. What happened? Ne'esra, now, the matzos became asr. How did the matzos become asr? After you consecrated the flowers, after you sanctified, you consecrated the flower. Now, again, it's kodesh. You can only eat it in certain places. And what happens? Now, what we're saying is, after the mincha is offered on the mizbeach, the rest of the flower becomes permitted. I might have thought that it returns to its initial permitted state. And I both say, remember, what would it mean in this context, initial permitted state? That you can eat it wherever you want. To teach us that what? That as much as you're permitted to eat it, but you're only permitted to eat it again in a makom Kodesh, in a sanctified place bishnam odarava da amarhamani rabanan hi so according to the according to Rava's interpretation so this makes sense cuz he will say who's the pain in this fact this is rabanan hachi hachi kamar masos te akha ba makam ko this how would rabanan ever say remember Rava was the one who just said before that lemaisa So the again, when a person goes ahead and comes in, when a person not comes in, I'm sorry, I got a little distracted. right when a, when, a, when a person goes ahead and eats the matzahs, so again they return to their initial heter. So I might have thought that again it returns to the original heter that it has, just like before it became consecrated. You can eat it wherever you want. So to afterwards, as well, you can eat whatever you want. Tamud Lomar, matzos te'achav, makam kodesh, the Brahsa adds in the word mitzvah. According to Rava, this makes sense. Remember, according to Rava. According to Rava, Rava was one who said before that the price reflects the value of the Rabbanon. So you can apply that same paradigm here. Hachikamar. Matz matzos kodesh mitzvah shebetchila bichlal In the beginning, the flour was totally permitted. Ratsa ochla, Ratsa ina ochla. If you wanted to eat it, you could eat it. If you didn't want to eat it, you don't have to eat it. Ratsa ochla, Ratsa ina ochla. I'm sorry, Ratsa how could it be that you're going to say that you don't have to eat it? for but the Pasuk says, But how could Rava suggest that after you go ahead and you offer the mincha, that the remaining part of the flour, if you want to eat it, you can eat it, and if you don't want to eat it, you don't have to eat it. The Torah explicitly says, Those who went ahead and affect the atonement must eat it. Which means that what? That in order for the kapara of a carbon to be effective, the sacrificial parts must be consumed. Now the truth is, that's not true in all situations. Not true in all situations. We saw that in our Yuma days as well. But at least over here, what the Gemara is suggesting is that Lamaisa, in order for the carbon Mincha to be effective, the Kohanim would have to go ahead and eat the rest of the flour, meaning baked off in Tamasas. Melamed, Shakohanim Kohanim Ochlem, it teaches that the Kohanim eat. Ubalim, Miskaprim, and the owners ultimately have Kapara. Ela, hu Ochla, a coin But I might have thought that's what maybe, maybe, as long as it gets eaten, we don't care who eats it, whether the coin who offered it ate it, whether another coin ate it, Matsos te Kodesh mitzvah. Therefore again the b'risa teaches us that no, not only must the matzos be eaten in a makum kodesh, but who must eat it? The actual kohen that went ahead and did the avoda. and therefore again the ma'isa, this is the mitzvah. So I'll like, say all the Gemara is just doing over here, obviously this has nothing really to do with our particular discussion, It's but it's part of the same braisa. So all the Gemara is just trying to see is these other cases whose opinion would work. Remember, again, Ravasi, <laughs> Ravah was the one who explained that the Bresa is in accordance with the Rabbanon, and all the Gemara is just demonstrating is the same way that Ravah interpreted the Bresa by Yibum. You can interpret it that same way by the Karban Mincha. That's all we're doing over here. El Rav Yitzchak Baravdimi, Dimi Da Amar Abasholhi Hacha Mai Tregav but Ravasi Yitzchak who explained the part of the Bresa that spoke about Yibum As referring ultimately to the opinion, or as going according to the opinion of Abishal, how would he interpret this part of the Braissa that deals with Karba Mincha, to which the Gemara says, literally, what are the two possibilities within this Braissa? So maybe I would say like this. Maybe according to Abishal, the way to interpret the Braissa is like this. You might have thought that Lemaisa. When it comes to the Karba Mincha, you have one of two ways of consuming it. You can eat it l'te'avon, te'avon means if you're hungry, or achilagasa. I don't know what a good English word for achilagasa, you know, gluttonous, fressing, right? right? Gluttonous, gluttonous, right? Achilagasa means not, not just eating more than you should, but after a person is really already full, eating to a point where a person actually feels sick. That's called achila gasa. So the Gemara says achila gasa. Maybe what the price is talking is like this. Then maybe with the karban mincha, you have the option to either eat it Avon, right, meaning in a regular, normative fashion because you're hungry, or achila gasa. To which the Gemara says, one second, it's actually very interesting. Achila gasa mishma achila. So remember again, is achila gasa called achila? That's actually, very interesting. lakish, ha'ochal achila gasa purim, poter milosuna. We'll say, listen to this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yep, correct, correct. I mean this, that that gas That's yuma. So the gemara says, listen to this. If somebody eats, if somebody if somebody overeats to the point that they're sick on yom kippur, they are literally putter from los suuna. Now los suuna is the lav that says whoever does not afflict themselves on yom kippur is Chayv karis. kares. karis. So boss, we'll say if you eat, you know, if you can imagine this, it's a uh, you know, it's after the Suda afsekes you come home from Kol Nidre and you're still, Mamash, bursting and you decide to go ahead and you can't resist that piece of chocolate cake and you eat it and Mamash, you're sick to your stomach because now you, you, you just overate. So the Ma'is, again, you are not chayiv for violation of Yom Kippur. Because violation of Yom Kippur does not come about because of Achila Gasa. Essentially what the is saying over here is that Achila gas is me Achila. The act of gluttonous eating is not called a halachic act of eating. So the gemara says, ella. Ratsa Matzah ratzah chamitz Rather perhaps in By carbon Mincha the two possibilities are like this That you have a choice how you eat the carbon Mincha Remember we'll say well, what, what we established is the carbon Mincha You have a very little bit of flour That's burned on the Mizbech And the rest is made into something That the Kohanim are able to eat So maybe the two options that I have Is that if the coin wants to eat it as matzah He can eat it as matzah And if he wants to eat it as chametz He can eat it as chametz But we learned Lo I but we learn the pasuk tells us that they may not make their portion, i.e., whatever their portion of the Mincha is, they can make it however they want, but they are not allowed to make it into chametz. <laughs> and Reish Lakish says what it means is not only can the part that's offered on the mizbeach not be chametz, but what else? But what else? Even the part. Even the part that the Kohanim go ahead and make for themselves cannot be made. Oh, so we'll say what's the Trey gavni? What's the two possibilities you have in this case? So when it comes to the Karamincha, the coin could either eat. He could either bake his flour into matzah or chalut. And I will say, if you look at Rashi, Rashi says over here, chalut birozkim. See, that's actually very interesting. Apparently, what they would do is they would do what's called they would scald the dough. So you would take dough. You would throw it into boiling water, you'd scald it, and then afterwards you could go ahead and fashion it into something else and bake it off. So I guess it has to do with the flavor I'm not sure exactly what what what, what, what would be added, but this was a form of this was a form of baking. So you would scald it first and then bake it afterwards. So the like bagels they do this with, right? So okay. So the gimmicks of the filing. I'm sorry? Yes. Bagels. Yeah, good. So, so what happens? So the Gemara says I might have thought that again. I have this option to either just bake it off straight or to first scold it. So the Gemara says, "Hi Now, what's the case of cholot? E matza So if it's matzah, it's matza. What do I care if it's? What do I care if it's scalded matza or just straight baked matza? The matza and if it's not matzah, the problem ultimately is that the Torah says you can only bake it into matzah. So, what's going on? To which the Gemara says, <laughs> The truth is, in reality, even if you even khalut, even if you scald it, that's still called matzah. <laughs> and therefore, the Pasik is coming to teach us that what matzah means that you may not scald the leftovers from the karb mincha, but rather they can only be baked off as regular matzah. So both we'll say so. Okay, so now what we've established, by the way, the bottom line of this conversation is that at the end of the day, the leftovers of the kara mincha can a only be eaten Makum kodesh in a holy place, on mishkan. Can only be eaten by the kohen, ultimately who did the avoda of the actual mincha. And number three have to be number three can't be chametz. And number four, even if it's matzah, can only be straight baked matzah. Cannot be Chalot or scalded matzah. Fine. To which the says, "Well, if that's the case, so then what exactly is the ramification or the benefits? Meaning, so tell me, what exactly do we learn from the fact that you can make Chalot matza, that you can make scalded matza? Meaning, what's the ramification of that?" Lomar yotzei It teaches us that what that say, Technically speaking, you could use scalded matza to go ahead and be yotse your mitzvah of Matzah and Pesach even though you scalded the dough initially, since you went ahead and you went back and you baked it off in an oven, it's still called Lechem Oni, and a person could discharge their obligation with this on Pesach, so I'll we'll say this effectively ends this sugya. Now remember, there still is one looming question we have to deal with, which is the machlokis. Two things, actually, two things we still have to resolve. Number one is remember we had the first machlokis in this sugya about what is the preferred practice today. Do we do yibum or do we do Chalitza? Do we encourage do we encourage or do we encourage Chalitza? That's issue number one, which we have to resolve. And issue number two, and they're, they're very much related, is the Machlokas Abashol When it comes to Yibom, do we only allow Yibom to be undertaken for the purest of intentions, i.e. for the fulfillment of the mitzvah, but if the yavam has any other motive in marrying this woman, noble or not noble, that we will not let him do yibum or force him to do Chalitza, that's Abashol, or do we say to Rabbanon that ultimately, no, the truth is we don't really care what your intentions are. Intentions are pretty much immaterial over here. What's important is action. And as long as you're willing to take the action of Yibum Lamais at the end of the day, whether even if your Kavana, is not for the sake of the not for some other ulterior motive, it makes no difference to us and we will still encourage you to go ahead and do Yibum. So that Machlokes is still out there. We will actually loop back. That Machlokes is going to come up again. We'll loop back to it in the Rambam shortly, says the Mishnah. When I say shortly, not, not today, not today. We'll see it tomorrow over the next day or so, a couple of days. Just keep it in mind. If one goes in and does chalitza, so there's another interesting case. So let's say again you have Ruvain, Shimon, and Levi. So Ruvain dies, his widow falls to his brothers to do Yibim. And now what happens? They decide they're not doing So Shimon does chalitza with his sister in law. Shimon does chalitza. We'll call her Rachel. in The what? The, the brother who does chalitza is just like all of the other brothers for inheritance purposes. Rashi says, He has not. well, we'll see actually in the Gemara, but he has not lost. He is not lost his portion in the deceased brother's estate. We'll define that in a little bit. But if there is a surviving brother, meaning we'll say, let's say Reuven dies. Reuven, Shimon, and Levi have a, brother, have a father Yaakov. And at the time that Yaakov, that Reuven dies, his father Yaakov is still alive. So what happens in that case? sham av. I will say if there is a father who is still alive and none of the brothers did Yibo meaning one brother did Chalitza then who gets the property of the deceased brother of Ruvain it goes to his father it's only if there is no father that ultimately again the deceased brother's estate is is divided among his surviving brothers however Now I will say that's all if one does Chalitza If one does Yibo Hakonez Zohar Ben but on the other hand, if a person does Yibum, then he has acquired the possessions of his deceased brother. Remember again. Part of doing yibum is not only do you acquire the widow, but you also acquire the deceased brother's estate. Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Huda says, "No, ben ben av, sham av, Rabbi Yehuda Rabbi says, "Whenever there is a surviving father, the surviving father always inherits a deceased child, whether one of the other sons does yibum or chalitza. Irrelevant," says the Gemara. So, Peshita, this is obvious, says the Gemara. the So remember, case the morning the Mishnah was Shimon does chalitza. So the Mishnah taught me that what that lemaisa um, Shimon, that Shimon does not lose his portion in Ruvain's estate. The Gemara says, of course. Why would he lose his portion in Ruvain's estate? So I might have thought. Interestingly enough. That chalitza and yibum, remember, are two sides of the same coin, and therefore perhaps the brother, just like the brother who does yibum, acquires the deceased brother's estate. Maybe the brother who does chalitza should also acquire the deceased brother's estate. Kamashmula, no. Kamashmula, that is not the case. That if he does chalitza, that estate is shared by all of the brothers. If that's the case, then why does the Mishnah say he is like one of the brothers? So the Mishnah should have said, "Eino ella min The Mishnah should have said that the brother who does chalitza. Is no different than the other brothers. If the Havamina is that the brother who did Khalidza should acquire the entire estate, then the, the, the kunz is that what? That he doesn't acquire the entire estate. He's no different than anyone else. No, no, no. I would have thought that something different. I would have thought that the brother who does Khalidza, maybe what? Maybe he's penalized. Maybe he's penalized because since he really should have done yibum, going back to what we said before, since he should have done yibum and he didn't do yibum, he caused this woman to ultimately go ahead and miss out on a marriage. By extension, he's also prevented his deceased brother from perpetuating his name. Maybe he should be penalized and he shouldn't get any part of the deceased brother's estate. Kamash Molon, no. Kamash on that, even though he does chalitza, he still shares in the deceased brother's estate equally with all of the other brothers. However, again, the Mishnah said that said in a case of Khalitsa, so none of the brothers did Yibum, one brother did Khalitsa. So remember again, the Mishnah said that in that case, if there is a surviving father, it is the father who inherits the property of Ruven. It's Yaakov who inherits the property of Ruven and the deceased son. The Amr Mar, because Mar said, that a father is first in line to inherit any of his descendants. Descendants, of course, in this particular context means his children. That a father will be the first to go ahead and inherit. Now, obviously, this is assuming that what? This is only in a case where the deceased left behind no children, which obviously are these cases over here. So in a situation where the deceased left behind no children, again, a father is first to inherit his deceased child's estate, even before siblings. hakonis esivimto. But however, if one goes ahead and marries the Yivama, then the brother who does yibum inherits the estate of the deceased brother, Amar <speaking in Hebrew> Ullah, excuse me, I'm sorry, my Taima, because the Pas- what's the reason for this? Yakum Al-Shem Achiv Amar Achmana Vaharikam, because the Pasik says, the Pasik says that he will arise, literally, or he will stand up in the name of his deceased brother, and this individual did yibum rose, he rose to the occasion, and therefore Lamaisa, again, he gets the estate of his deceased brother. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, remember, Rabbi Huda said in the Mishnah, that Lamaisa, even when one of the brothers did Yibom, still the father inherits. Amar so Ullah halakhic, Rabbi Huda. Ullah said, the halakh follows Rabbi Huda. That a father always inherits a deceased son, even if one of the other brothers does yibum. <speaking in Hebrew> My time is Rabbi Judah. It was Rabbi Judah's logic that he says that the father inherits. <speaking> in <Hebrew> that ultimately the pasuk says it will be the firstborn who will be born of this yibum union. Ki Bechar. So we'll say, interestingly enough, the Torah is treating the, the Yavam like a Bechar. What does that mean? Ma Bechar ain't lo Just like the Bechar has no portion while the father is alive. Let's remember, the Bechar is entitled to a double portion. But the Bechar is not entitled to anything while his father is still alive. Av hay nami ain't lo ha'av. So to the Yavam, also acquires nothing while the father is still alive. Meaning, what the Torah is picking up on is that the Torah is equating the Yavam with being a bachar. So ultimately, just as the bachar might have an entitlement, but that entitlement is not exercised while the father is still alive, so too this Yavam may have a technical entitlement, by what, but while there is a living father, that father gets the property of the deceased son. If that's the case, If that's the case, then what? Then just like the Bechar gets a double portion when the father dies, so to the Yavam, perhaps the Yavam should get a double portion when the father dies, to which the Imam says, Midi, al shem Does the Torah say that the yavam will stand on the name of the father or in the name of the father? Yakum al shem achiv It says that he shall stand in the name of his brother. al And not in the name of the father. Therefore, because say, remember, because the property ultimately goes to the father. Therefore, the Gemara suggests that the yavam does not get a double portion after the death of the father either. To which the Gemara says, Ema. If that's the case. Now, so will say. Now, if we're saying that the yavam is like the Bihar, and just like the Bihar doesn't get anything during the lifetime of the father so too the Yavam gets none of the property of the deceased during the lifetime of the father who will inherit his deceased son so maybe I'll say the following so maybe I'll say like this when there is a father excuse me when there is no father To take the inheritance, maybe that's when there's a mitzvah of Yibum. However, Heikha av the Shakyal Nachalah, lotus kai mitzvahs Yibum. So, what I'm now suggesting is the following maybe the mitzvah of Yibum. Only applies when there is when there is an inheritance involved for the yavam. So if there is no father here to inherit the deceased son Ruvain, maybe that's when Shimon does yibum. But lamaisa, if there is no estate to inherit, i.e. the father is alive and he will inherit the deceased son Ruvain, maybe there's no mitzvah on Shimon to do yibum. To which the Yamara says, one second, Mitzvahs yibum, those is midi yibum benachla talar, Does the Torah equate, does the Torah hinge Yibum with inheritance? Yevume, excuse me, Talachmara, Yevume Mivme v'i'ika nachala v'im lo we'll lo lo shakil Yibom is not intertwined with nachala, right? Again, yibum is an independent mitzvah sometimes there's yibum that comes with property, with an with, estate, like if the father is dead, if Yaakov was dead as well, then ultimately again, when Shimon does yibum with Reuven's widow Shimon will acquire not just wife, but he'll acquire property as well, and there are sometimes that yibum comes without property for example, again, the father's Alive, in which case the father will inherit the deceased son and Shimon will not get the estate. Yosef Rabbi Hanina, excuse me, Yosef Rabbi Hanina, Kra Kameid Rabbianai. You see, let me say that again. Yosef Rabbi Hanina Kra Kameid Rabbianai, V'Yosef Ekamar, Halak Rabbi Huda. So, once Rabbi Hanina Kra was sitting before Rabbianai and he said that Lach Faz Rabbi Huda. So, Rabbianai said, Aurele, Puk Kari Kreich Libra. Go take your teachings outside. The boss said, go take your teachings outside, was another way of saying you're wrong. Right, Kevos, right? Right, you, 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 what you're saying is incorrect. So the Gemara says, "Ain alach Rabbi Yehuda, that does not follow You Remember what Rabbi Yehuda said in the Mishnah? Rabbi Yehuda said that wherever there is a surviving parent, wherever there is a surviving father, not parent, wherever there is a surviving father, a father always inherits a deceased son. That argues on the Tanakhama of the Mishnah, because Tanakhama of the Mishnah said that it's not true. When does a father inherit the son, a deceased son? Only when? Only when? Only when chalitza was done. But if one of the brothers did yibum, then the brother who did yibum will inherit the estate of the deceased father. So now comes along Rabbiani, Suzy Rabbi Khanina, and says, follows, and the Rabbi Huda. Rabbi says, get out of here. Right? That's ridiculous. Does not follow Rabbi so, Ela kiman, so who's the pain does the Halakha follow? Amar kiman, Kidai banon. I'm sorry, I skipped the line. So they top of Rabbi Huda. Who does the Rabbanon, who, who does the Aloka follow? Kirabanon. To which the Umar says, Pshita. but isn't that obvious? Halacha, excuse me, Yachid Virab, Haloka Rabo So whenever you have a machlokas between an individual and a collective, the Aloka almost always follows the majority opinion. So by definition, Rabbi Huda's is, is a Das Yachid. The Rabbanon are the majority, therefore the Halacha follows the Rabbanon so he said to him, should I forget? Because remember again he was saying beforehand, I taught that So should I try to literally get rid of that Mishnah from my mind? That lo at You went ahead and you taught Allah and then we raised the kasha on you, meaning the Kansha was, how can you set that follows Rabbi Huda in the face of the majority opinion of the Rabbanon, the Achbas, and you went ahead and you turned around your ruling, shapir afchas, and that which you turned it around is indeed the proper resolution. So don't don't, don't per, you don't have to get rid of the learning the, the teaching from your mind. You said the halacha was like Rabbi Huda. We raised the kasha Halakha That changed you. That got you to change your conclusion that the halacha follows the Rabbana. And I will say again halacha lemaisa. That is indeed how the Rambam paskins, namely that when there is no brother ultimately who goes ahead and. And does, does 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 Yibum? One of the brothers does chalitza. Then ultimately, it is the father who inherits the deceased brother's estate. Now, ultimately, again the brothers will inherit it. When will the brothers inherit it? When the father dies. So the, again, that's assuming the father retained it, right? If the father sells it off or whatever, but if the fa- assuming the father has it at the time of his death, that property will be, will be distributed evenly w- along with all the other paternal property at the time of the father's death. However, again, if one of the brothers does yibum, then we pass, like the Rabbana, against Rabbi Judah that the brother who does yibum in fact acquires the estate of the deceased brother. Says the Mishnah, him Say now again another interesting case. Man does chalitza. Man does chalitza. Who aser be sehal? The So we'll say when you do chalitza with a woman? You are you are aser in her relatives, and she is aser in yours. Who? Who He is not permitted to marry. These are all the relatives of his chalitza. So he is not married, He is not permitted to marry the mother of the chalitza. Aim Ima, the grandmother of the Chalutza, on her mother's side, Ubaim Aviha, her father's mother, Ubabita, her daughter, Basbita, the daughter of her daughter, Baspina, the daughter of her son, Ubeachosa, as well as her sister. Bizman shekayem, I will say, the sister obviously only applies when, as long as the Chalutza herself is alive. Once the Chalutza dies, if the Chalutza dies, he's permitted to marry her sister. V'ha'achin, they both say the brothers, now the brothers over here refers to the other brothers who did not do khalutza So all the other brothers, mutarin. So both say, again, all the brothers who did not do Chalitza, obviously, again, they may not marry the Khalutza, because the khalutza is who? The Chalutza is their brother's wife. And that restriction still remains in place. But they have no restriction regarding any of her relatives. Vihi Asura b'aviv, she being the Chalutza, is not permitted to marry the father of the Chalutza, of the man of the Chalitza. avi Aviv, his grandfather, the, his father's father, u'bino, his son, ben beno, the son of his son, b'achiv, his brother, ben achiv, and ultimately again the son of his brother. Fine, now let me stand off with one last piece. I'm supposed to listen to this. A person is permitted to marry the relative of the tzara of his chalutza. now, what, what does this mean? So again, Reuven dies, leave behind, leaves behind two wives, Rachel and Leah. Shimon, the surviving brother, does chalitza with Rachel. So now the Gemara says that Shimon would be permitted to marry the relatives of Leah. The other, the other she's the co-wife of the chalutzah. Now he can't marry Leah herself. Why? can't he marry Leah herself? Because she is, not not, not just the tzara, but remember, she is the wife of his deceased brother, right? She is his brother's wife. She's, remember, she, she's the co-wife of the chalutza, but she was the actual wife of his deceased brother. But again, because she is not the chalutza, he's permitted to marry her relatives. So meaning, the prohibition on marrying the relatives of your chalutza only apply to the chalutza herself, do not apply with the co-wife of the chalutza. However, va'aser, krovas but he is not permitted to marry the tzara, the co-wife. Of the relative of his Khalutsa. And I was saying that we will define that case. Actually, just take a look at Rashi. Rashi defines that case, the relative of the coif of my chalutza. What does that mean? Rashi says, Ruvain Khalat leleah." So I will say listen to this. So now again, all right, the Mishnah mish- changes around the names a little bit. So let's just use the mish- Rashi's example. Ruvain is the surviving brother. So Ruvain does Khalitsa with Leah, his sister-in-law. And Leah has Leah has a sister Rafa So remember again, we're not permitted to go at so remember, we already established that that. Le, that Reuven is not permitted to marry the sister of his chalutza. So he can't marry Rachel, right? Again, remember, Reuven does chalitza with with, with Rachel. Reuven does, sorry? No, I'm using, remember, we're just using Rashi's example here. So in Rashi's example, Reuven is the one who does chalitza. So Reuven does Khalitza with Leah. Leah is, sort of, Leah is a, the sister-in-law. Leah has a sister, Rachel. So based on what we just learned before, Reuven is not permitted to marry Rachel as long as what? As long as Leah is alive. Okay, now watch this. Rachel is married to someone else. And ultimately, she has a co wife. And now the husband dies. So what happens? Well, so listen to this. So, one more time. One more time. Let's actually just plug it into our case now. Ruvein dies, leaves behind, leaves behind a wife, Rachel. Shimon does Khalitsa with Rachel. Rachel has a sister, Leah. Right? Leah is married to some other guy, we'll call him, we'll call him uh, Avraham. She's ma- totally unrelated, right? But now again remember, Shimon can't, Shimon can't marry, Shimon can't marry Rachel because again Rachel is the sister of the woman with whom Shimon did Khalitza, right? Shimon did Khalitza with Leah. Ultimate, did I mix up the names already? I mixed up the names. Okay, that's right. Let's 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 start once more. Ruvein dies, leaves behind leaves behind the wife, Rachel. Shimon does Chalitza. Shimon the surviving brother does Khalitza with Rachel. Good. Shalom a Yisrael. Unrelated to this situation, Rachel has a sister, Leah. Now, obviously, we established in the Mishnah that what? That Shimon is not permitted to go ahead and, and marry. He's not permitted to marry Leah. Why can't he marry Leah? Because she is the sister of the woman with whom he did Halitza. Fine. Rachel's married to a separate guy, Avraham. Re- Leah. Sorry. Leah is married. I need a PowerPoint. Right? <laughs> Leah is married to a separate guy, Avraham. Now, Leah happens to have a co-wife her co-wife's name is Yokheved. So now what happens? Avraham dies. Avraham dies. Now when Avraham dies, we'll say obviously Shimon still can't marry Leah. Why can't Shimon marry Leah? Because she is the sister of his Chalutza. Now with the Mishnah, not only can he not marry Leah, but he also what? He can't marry Leah's co-wife. So he would be permitted he would be prohibited to Yokheved as well. For reasons we'll see in the Gemara. Good. Now that that's clear. I'm sorry. Once Rachel dies, and he be, made, be able to, he be permitted to marry both of those women. Correct, says the Gemara. He says the Gemara. I will say it's actually, it's it's really, it's actually very straightforward. It's very straightforward. All it says very simply is, it's the co-wife of the sister of the Chalutza. <laughs> to make it simple, the co wife of the sister of the Chalutza, that he can't marry the co wife of the sister of the Chalutza as well. So says the Gimara, so we we'll now we gotta fly a little bit over here. Says the Gimara, whoa, so we asked the Kasha, although. So also, remember, shnios refer to secondary cases of arayos, meaning cases that are not biblically permitted, pro- prohibited, but are rabbinically prohibited. So do the cases of shnios apply to a Chalutza or not? So the Gemara says, on one hand, on one hand, so maybe the only time that the rabbis decreed, shnios is in a case of Be'erba Be'chalutza, So we're just trying to see how far, how far this prohibition of Chalutza really extends. So was it just, in biblical cases, but not, but not in the case of Chalutza or, Delma, Loshna, or maybe no, the the, the prohibition of Shneo supplies both by Chalutza dirabonon as well as by ever tashma. So the Bryce, it says, who as ima, he is prohibited. He being the yavam is prohibited to the mother, the grandmother of the Chalutza Ve'ilu Aim, aim, imadokatani. Yet, what does the Mishnah not say, Rabbosai? The Mishnah does not list that the Yavam is not permitted, is not prohibited to the great grandmother of the Chalutza. Good news. Right? So, so, so what happens? I remember great grandmother, the Isra'erva da Araisa. Only extends up to a grandmother. The Torah does not cover the iser of a great grandmother. So the fact that it does, now great grandmother is Asr mid The fact that it does not list great grandmother indicates to us what? That maybe by Chalutza, Shnios are not Asuros. T'ani de Vaachin now maybe the reason it doesn't list the great grandmother is for another reason. Because the second part of the Mishnah said that what? That the brothers who did not do Chalutza are permitted. In all of these women. Vi' itana aim and had it stated the case of the great grandmother, Hava mutarin, dafka be I would have thought the brothers are only when we say the brothers are permitted, that's dafka in the case of a great grandmother. ima ubi ima but in the case of a grandmother and the mother herself, no. So why don't you just add in the case of Aim Aim great grandmother, and just say explicitly that the brothers are permitted with all of these women, to which the imara says Kasha. That is a good Kasha. Tashma. So so we're still trying to resolve a simple, basic question, which is: Do the prohibitions of shnios apply in the case of chalutzah or not? Shnios being the rabbinic arayos, rabbinic prohibitions. Tashma, first wide line. He has sura ba'aviv uba'aviv aviv. She the chalutzah is prohibited in his father and his father's father. Katani Miha avi aviv. My lab mishum cholitz. Da Now why would she be prohibited ultimately again to his father's father? Is it not because that after he does Chalitza with her she is, con- she is considered to be ultimately the daughter-in-law of his son? To which the Umar says, no, she's ushered to him for another reason She's ushered to the grandfather for another reason, which is what? Because she was married to the deceased husband. That prohibition upon the so she literally is considered to be the daughter-in-law of the grandfather. That's why she's prohibited Tashma Uben She's prohibited to the grandson. My love, the havile mishum avi aviv. Is it not because since she did chalitza with the brother, so therefore again she's prohibited to the grand, to, to even his son's son because she is considered to be the wife of his father's father. No, it has nothing to do with the Chalitza. It has to do with her relationship now to the deceased husband. She is considered to be the wife of his father's father's brother. But yet I, Amemar, allowed. Amemar said that, again, Amemar said that in the case of a wife of the father's, excuse me, the father's 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 brother is permitted. Ameimar Mukila de sets up the case as dealing mamish with a grandson. if that's the case, uben then this would be the case of ultimately the brother and the son of the brother. To which the says, "You're right. We stated twice. Tana We stated twice: one to teach us the brother from the father, and one to teach us the brother from the mother." Tashma, Sofrim. There are four cases that are prohibited biblically in four. Cases in the on what are the four cases? Av Ubino, case of a father, a son, Ochiv, brother, Uben Ochiv, the son of the brother, Medivre Torah. All of those cases are biblical. However, Avi Aviv, a grandfather, Vavi Emo, the father of the mother, Ben Beno, a grandson, Uben Bito, the son of the daughter, midivre Sofrim. What do we see from there? What do we see from there? We see the case, however, of the Grandfather. Why is the case of the Grandfather? is not because that when you do Chalitza with a woman, ultimately again, Ultimately, she is considered to be the Chalutza, or I should say the daughter-in-law of the Chalutz, to which the G-d M-d Lo Mishum Misna, it is because of the deceased husband, you Kalas beno. ultimately she is considered to be the daughter-in-law, she is considered to be the daughter-in-law, ultimately, again, of the deceased husband, I should say, she's considered to be the daughter-in-law of the father of the deceased husband, Tashma. I apologize that we're going fast with this, but all we're trying to figure out with all of this Lamaisa again is What are the status of Shni'os L'gab'i Chalutza? Tashma Avi Emo, the case of Avi Emo, the father's mother, Maila Mishum Cholitz, Da Havile Khalas Bito, is that not Usha because of the because of the Khalitsa, and therefore she is considered to be the daughter-in-law of the daughter. Lomishum Mishnah, the Havile Khalas Bino, Bito, excuse me. Tashma Ubenbino, why is she Usha ultimately to the grandson? Maila Mishum Kholitz, the Havile Aishus Avi Aviv, isn't it not because ultimately she is considered to be the wife of the father's father, Lomishum Mishnah? No, what's with the Imam just pointing out? Over here is that sometimes the nature of the prohibition of the Chalutza to some of the men mentioned over here is not because she did chalitza, but rather it was because she was married to a man to begin with. To which the gemara says mishnah mm-hmm. the aviv achi avi aviv amemar aviv. I, but amemar said that she is permitted in the case ultimately of. The case of the wife of the father's father's brother, Ameymar <makes in Hebrew> says ultimately the Isra is only upon the brother Did The Kasavar And he said that we were Gozer Shneos in the case of Chalitza, Tashma <makes in> bito, <Hebrew> the case of Ben Bito, the son of his daughter, Maila Mishum is the isra there not because Khalitsa to because she will effectively become the wife. Of the father's mother, or of the fa- right of the of the mother's father, excuse me. Lo mishum misna. Rather, the prohibition is because again of her deceased husband. Habile Hs. achi avi imo that she is considered to be ultimately the wife of the brother of the the, fa- the mother's father's brother. I vahal gabi shnios te'erva lo gazu. I but in the case of shnios everyone everywhere were in this case. Ella lav mishum cholitz. Ushma, Rabbi, what is the bottom line of all this? So, the bottom line of this entire discussion is that lamaisa. again, I apologize for the speed of that, but lamaisa. again, the bottom line is that we are Gozer Shnios by Chalutza. That indeed is the conclusion. That, so, therefore, again, it is not only the biblically prohibited relationships that are, probi- that are prohibited to a Chalutza, but even the rabbinic relationships of Shnios are also prohibited in a case of Chalutza. All right, Abosai, you will step over here.